Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All the cool is Jeff Bezos. Brevet got another one. Yeah. yeah. This is 98.7 ESPN's Path to the Draft with Mike Tannenbaum and the 33rd team, powered by X2 Performance. Hi, it's Mike Tannenbaum, 98.7 ESPN New York's Path to the Draft with myself and the 33rd team is powered by X2 Performance, the all-natural energy drink that is used by over 25 pro teams to fuel their performance. X2's energy and pre-workout supplements are available at CVS, GNC.com, and Amazon. Be sure to follow X2 Performance on Instagram at X2 Performance. For the next two hours, we're going to tell you everything you need to know about the NFL Draft, which is only 24 hours away, and we're going to do it by people who have actually made those decisions, and almost all of them have done it right here in New York. You know, as a general manager, my special team is team building, and the 33rd team is comprised of former head coaches, GMs, students from Columbia, Tulane, and UMass. Over the next two hours, you're going to hear from my good friend Rex Ryan, who will be coming up momentarily. We're going to do a roundtable with Joe Banner, the former president of the Browns and the Eagles, Ray Farmer, former general manager. We're going to do that at 1020. We got the great Ernie Accorsi coming up at 11, who has a ton of wisdom for us. Then we're going to have Eric Mangini and Ben McAdoo, former Jet and Giant head coach, together at 1115 which should be really good. And then we have Mark Sanchez at 11.30. And who better to tell us about what it's going to be like for Zach Wilson coming to New York at 11.30. This group, guys, combined has 164 years of NFL experience, 33 with the Jets, 17 with the Giants. We're going to hear a total of from three head coaches, three general managers, and a starting quarterback. Combined, they've had seven Super Bowls, and they've worked for over 20 NFL teams. We're going to take you behind the curtains and show you all the fascinating processes of how an NFL draft actually works. I got a couple of my teammates with me. We have Andy Hansen. Say hello, Andy. Hey, Mike. And Ben Elsner. How's it going? All right, fellas, let's dive into it. So, look, this draft is about three things. The quarterback, the quarterback, and the quarterback. Here's a couple of things just to frame our discussion. For the first time in NFL history, we could see four quarterbacks taken with the first four picks. Now, I don't think Atlanta takes a quarterback, but could somebody come up like Denver from nine, Carolina from eight, even though they have Sam Darnold, to actually go quarterback in the first four picks? And at the bottom of the first round, and we'll get into this, someone like Davis Mills from Stanford, Kyle Trask from Florida, could be the sixth quarterback taken in the first round, and that would go down as only the second time in NFL history, 1983, when there were six quarterbacks taken in the first round. And something that's really great perspective, and this was on Get Up yesterday, and our good friend Hembo came up with this stat, but since 2010, 34 quarterbacks have been taken in the first round, and only one of them, Patrick Mahomes, started and won a Super Bowl. Blaine Gabbert, Carson Wentz, both won a Super Bowl but didn't start. That's really sobering, one for 34. Talking about the Jets, they have two first-round picks. We're going to talk a ton about Zach Wilson, but Andy, quickly, what are your thoughts about what they could do at 23. Yeah, at 23, I'm seeing them go best player available on the defensive side of the ball, uh, probably on the edge so that Salah can get his uh, 4-3 defensive line up and running. Okay. All right. It's great to welcome in a, a good friend of mine, a familiar voice for this uh, neck of the woods. Rex, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Shoot, we're, we're close to it, aren't we? 
Yeah, Rex, I know right, you're uh, right around the corner. Yeah, well, speaking of the corner, I know you're on the golf course. Are you uh, at Amen Corner or where are you? Well, Mike, actually, it's we got a little thunderstorm rolling in, so I had to take a little pit stop. And uh, I live right on the golf course, so I'm riding it out a little bit uh, at the house right now, but we'll certainly be heading back there shortly. So, Rex, if we go back to 09, we're sitting there, we take Mark Sanchez. If you were sitting there today, head coach of the Jets, presumably it's going to be Zach Wilson. What are your thoughts about him? Well, my thoughts are, first off, this is going to be the best quarterback the Jets have ever had uh, a chance to draft or did draft, um, probably since Joe Namath. So, to me, uh, the more I watch this guy, that I mean, I'm, I think this is a, I mean, it's a slam dunk, no-brainer. I know everybody's saying, well, maybe Justin Fields is better. Really? What film are you watching? This kid right here is a no-brainer slam dunk, and I can't wait to watch him in, uh, in, in that uh, that jet green. And um, jet fans, get ready because you're going to get a real one here. Rex, one thing that we always talked about, you want a big, physical, tough guys. Are you concerned? And all of us have to start calibrating what we say here, like 17-game regular season. Any concern about Zach Wilson's physique and build in terms of being able to make it through a full season? Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's always those concerns, um, you know, with, uh, you know, with anybody. Now, I'll say this, if they're going to be reckless the way Cincinnati was with Joe Burrow, then uh, I don't think he's going to make it through. But I think having a defensive-minded head coach that he's smart enough to understand that that you've got to take care of a rookie quarterback and, and not put him in those situations until you built your team up enough uh, to where, you know, they can protect him. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a concern. He's not the only one to, that, that has missed games. You know, you could say the same even about Trevor Lawrence. So uh, I think there's those questions, but I don't think it's, you know, it's not like Tua last year. Tua had five surgeries. Um, so to me, that was, uh, uh, you know, I'm not as, as concerned as, as some people would be. Rex, one last thing on Zach. You're one of the many great strings you pulled in going back to 09 and 10 was how you handled Mark and, and you had that system about red, green, yellow. Can you take the listeners into what your thought process was and why it was so successful? And would you have a similar approach with Zach Wilson? Yeah, I think, I think the big thing is Mike and you and I both lived it. Um, that was almost out of necessity. I mean, when we played the, the Buffalo Bills that year, we threw, I think, six or seven interceptions in that game. Yep. And the funny thing is, we still had a chance to win it, you know. But then, I, I think we had six, and then and then maybe uh, uh, our holder threw an interception on a field goal that we should have made. But either way, it was like, gosh, we just got to protect the football. And if we do that, our defense is is going to be lights out. And that's the way it should be like his first year with Sala. If he's as good as they say he is, then he'll have that defense rolling. I mean, when we went there, they were 23rd in the league in defense. We turned it overnight, put it to number one. If he's as good as they say, then he ought to have that defense humming. So protect this young man until he's ready for the NFL grind. But when we did that that red, yellow, green, it was, it was pretty much out of necessity that, hey, look, we have a good football team the best chance we have to win is that we've got to protect the football. And uh, I think it just showed – it was just a little reminder to – I know Sanchez hated it, 
but it was just a little reminder that, hey, look, man, this is this isn't just about you. This is about the entire football team, and you know it's your job to protect this football team, protect the football, and give us an opportunity to win. And and I think he understood that uh, when, when we implemented that system. Yeah, and Rex, just to uh, explain to the listeners. Red was you could only throw the ball if you were 100% sure it could be completed. Yellow was proceed with caution. And green was, hey, let it rip. We're behind, so who cares? And uh, Exactly. <laughs> we hardly, and, and, Mike, we hardly ever got to I – don't, I don't even remember getting to green ever. But <laughs> there were times, literally, we're starting the game. All right, we're in, we're in uh, you know, we're in red right now. Okay, we're, we, we got past that. Let's get to yellow. But – it was uh, it was an idea that we came up with, and it, and it uh, and like I say, Sanchez hated it. So I'm sure when you get him on there, he'll tell you how much he hated it. But uh, I think it, it served us pretty well, you know. And and um, you know, it's hard enough to lead, uh, to win in this league, but we did it with a rookie quarterback. And I think that just uh, told you number one, our team, um, you know, the rest of our football team was pretty good. Um, and it was just so, Hey, you know, we, we got us a rookie quarterback, but he can't be the reason we don't, we, we don't, uh, uh, make the playoffs. You know, he's got to be in a supportive role, but as the, as it went on, um, he actually played his best in the biggest moment. So I think that's what this, this thing, you know, Zach Wilson, you asked me about him. No, he's going to be. If we had that same formula, he's going to be in yellow and green uh, most of the time because that's how he plays. Um, like I said, when I, when I watch him, I see a young, you know, it, it's maybe not quite Aaron Rodgers, but he's close. In fact, nobody's nobody's saying it. Everybody's like, you know, uh, well, Trevor Lawrence by far and away the best guy, slam dunk and all that. I said that the, the whole year. I'm like, you got to be crazy. Don't win a game. Get Trevor Lawrence. Then when I watch this kid, I'm like, mm, man, I don't want to say it, but because you know I love Clemson, but I'm not so sure when it's all said and done that this kid might end up having a better career. Rex, going back to 2009, you lose in the championship game to the Steelers. We, we fly you up, and you walked into the building, and you set expectations literally from the very first press conference that we're not rebuilding. The expectations are going to be high from day one. And you embraced it. The organization did. Certainly the players did. And obviously we went to two championship games in the first two years. Last week, uh, Robert Sal, the rookie head coach of the Jets, says, hey, there's no pressure on me. And uh, I'd be curious to get your take as someone that sat in that seat as a rookie head coach. Well, I think the big thing is he may not want the pressure, um, but it's coming whether you realize it or not. And my thing was I embraced it. Maybe he'll be that type of guy where he can embrace it and, and move forward. But um, you're in New York. Anything short of, of, you know, winning a Super Bowl or at least, you know, coming close uh, is not acceptable. And if you think it is, you're in the wrong city. Yeah, and unless you've actually sat in that seat, I think that's just one of those things you learn with experience. Um, how about – in the billing today, 24 hours before the draft, from a head coach perspective, what are you doing? Well, right there, I'd be sitting there living with you, and we'd be going <laughs> over every scenario, knowing the man. We tried to, we came up with a trade, um, and and we had to, and and truth be known, 
Uh, I mean, we played maybe the one of the biggest hands of poker of all time. And in, uh, in, in, remember the, uh, where the Rams were bluffing us, and you and I played poker with them saying, mm, it ain't going to happen. And, I mean, people don't understand. Uh, we get criticized for drafting Mark Sanchez. Uh, to me, that is ridiculous. Uh, I mean, if you had to draft over again, you find a quarterback better than Mark Sanchez that was available because we had to take a quarterback. We had to get Mark Sanchez. We weren't going to win with the kid from Kansas State or anybody else that we could have that, that we could have uh, got. So, um, but you know, we had to do it at a price. I remember when the Rams wanted our first. Uh, that year, our first, next year, and our second, we pulled the trade off of Cleveland, and uh, I don't think I don't think you get enough credit for it. I don't think uh, either one of us get enough credit for it. But we actually pulled that thing off, and and um, <laughs> but maybe later you could talk about the game of poker we played with those guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. But hey, it was great for the organization, and it was just you know from a front office perspective, it was great to have you and Mark tied together from day one, and. It looks like that's what Joe Douglas is trying to do now with the Jets where, hey, we got Zach Wilson. We're going to move on from Sam Darnold, whether that's right or wrong. But we're going to take Sam, uh, Zach Wilson. We're going to take Robert Sala. We're going to tie them together, and we're going to move forward. And, you know, I agree with you because Zach's from Provo, played in Provo, Utah. He's from L.A. And until you're actually here and go through the highs and lows, there's just really no experience for that. Hey, Rex, I just uh, want to turn to the other side of the ball quickly here for a minute. You know, so much is made about these quarterbacks, maybe five going in the top ten, maybe six overall. On the other side of the ball, who's your favorite defensive player in this year's draft? Ooh, gosh, that's a good question. I, I mean, I mean, I think it, it's crazy because it's not a very good draft for defensive linemen. Like, usually you've got a couple of just bell cows that are, you know, no-brainers, uh, but that's not the case. So I think the best players you got are these corners. And, you know, the first one you're going to talk about is Patrick Sertan for good reason. I mean, he's got the, he's got the pedigree, he's got the size, he's got the, the length, he's, you know, uh, the speed, all that. He's, you know, an Alabama starter, um, you know, right from jump. But uh, I'm not so sure. Like, like J.C. Horn is a kid, and his dad's Joe Horn, so he's got the pedigree also. I think he's right there with him. So either one of those guys can have a major impact. The kid from Virginia Tech, and you'll know his name, but K- that's Caleb one Farley? of me. Yeah, that's the guy that it's unfortunate. Here's a guy that's had, had two back surgeries. If, if you're just looking at who's the best corner, it might have been him. Like so, that, that's the thing. But so here, here's what, what do you do? Yeah, like, so, you know, so Rex, and, let's go behind the curtain on that. You know, that, that's a tough one yeah. for me because, you know, just to remind people, you know, we hired you from the Ravens. Ozzie Newsom said, Hey, we're going to put Rex out on I-95 with a sign around his neck that says, I need corners, corners, and corners. You know, we had Revis, we traded for Cromartie, we drafted another one, Kyle Wilson. This is a great example because this to me is an agonizing decision. And here's why. Farley has great man-to-man cover skills, like you said, Rex. But we would have the doctor sitting there, hey, this guy's had multiple surgeries, didn't play this year. And now, from a head coach perspective, how comfortable would you be drafting a player who you have a complete medical unknown? We haven't been able to see him, no combine. You know, would you be at 23 comfortable taking that type of player? No, you can't be. 
I, I don't think you can risk it. And it's unfortunate because this kid, like you say, from a talent standpoint, you know, man cover guy, like what I would look for, you know, not some of these, you know, on top zone guys that, you know, uh, that, that, that want to take bows for being great, you know, corners, cover corners when they're not. This kid is a cover corner. They're so hard to find. But in the first round, I don't think you can take that. I, I, I don't think you can you, you can take that leap of faith. I, I think you could pop, you know, probably do it in the second round. Uh, but as a as a guy that you have to count on immediately and over a long period of time, uh, it's I think it's too too big of a gamble. Um, you know, or or to me, it's it's almost like you got to take this guy. Obviously, the docs are going to be sitting right there with you. And they're going to tell us, Mike, as you and I both know, hey, this is a one-contract player. So basically you're renting this player for four years or, or five seasons at max. You've got to be comfortable taking that player in that situation. And the only teams I think can, can take that risk are teams that are super close to, um, uh, to a Super Bowl. I think those are the only teams that can take this risk. Right now, if you're the Jets, you're trying to build something for the long haul. I don't. I don't think they uh, they're going to take that kind of risk. Yeah, no, that's interesting. That that's that's a good point. You know, these are such calculated risk wrecks. And uh, at the end of the day, like from my perspective, from a GM perspective, I got to look to the left and my right, head coach, owner, and in this case, the trainer. And say, hey, are we good here? And you know, it's a really hard decision because if you hit, you can hit big, but if he's not available, and we're looking for a corner in September, we know how hard that is. So. Rex, really appreciate it. Um, hopefully the weather will clear up. You can get back out there, and it's uh, always great reliving uh, those great years together and really appreciate joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Mike. And uh, Jets, hey, man, we hit a home run. I don't care what, what the uh, the experts are saying. This is a home run for the Jets, <laughs> and, and get ready. All right, Mike, you take care. All right, Rex, thank you. Well, we got a lot of information there from Rex. Uh, Andy, what uh, what do you think their chances of success are with this pick? I think they're pretty high. And one thing that Rex touched on was Salah turning around the defense. And he said that he had brought the 23rd defense rank up to a top five. When Salah was in San Francisco, he actually brought their 23rd rank defense up into a top 10 team. So he's going to be able to turn that defense around in New York, and I'd be really excited for it. You're listening to 98.7 ESPN's Path to the Draft with Mike Tannenbaum and the 33rd team, powered by X2 Performance. Mike Tannenbaum, Joe Banner, Ray Farmer, I'm Jade McCarthy. Great to have you with us as we continue here. Our 33rd team roundtable as we rev up for round one of the 2021 NFL Draft. All right, guys, I want to know if you had to give me the one thing on your to-do list before Jacksonville's on the clock tomorrow night. What's that one thing? Mike, I'll start with you. Well, if I was running a team right now, I would be making sure that I had three players that we were really, really good with. And I mean from a scheme standpoint, a medical standpoint, all the intangibles are checked, and then really have a great sense of, hey, if we want to trade up for whatever reason, who's the one or two players that we feel like could be there within reason? Likewise, if we're going to trade back, I want to have that, all those conversations to the extent it's reasonable with the head coach and owner beforehand. But, Jade, I got to tell you, I sat there through history, 2016, 
number one player on our board, Laramie Tunsil. We had a very good tackle in Brandon Albert. We had a million scenarios. Having Laramie Tunsil there at 13 was not part of it. So as prepared as you can be, and the 32 teams, I, I sure, I'm sure they are, that's what's so great about what we're going to see tomorrow night is an amazing drama playing out over four hours. Yeah, there's always something that can wreak havoc to your plan. Uh, what would be essential to your game plan on this day, Joe? Yeah, so we used to carry a uh, to-do list, so to speak, uh, making it a little more trite than it is. But it was just players that maybe we needed some more medical information on, teams we needed to talk to about trade. So we literally tracked this kind of to-do list. And I'd be sitting with that list, making sure that there were no boxes that uh, weren't checked. And if they were, I'd call a meeting and assign very specific exactly who was going to do what. Uh, and then as Mike referenced, you, you just can't stop your brain from running through these hypothetical, unexpected events that could occur and want to have at least thought through uh, as best you can what you would do if any of them happened. Ray, how did you best prepare for those unexpected events that are pretty much a guarantee? I would say it's probably the, the exercise of playing mock draft, right? You just sit around with uh, people that are knowledgeable about the draft and play scenarios left, right, this guy, that guy, this team, um, trade back, you know, things that you don't even think about could happen. Um, but uh, that's what we would do. We would assign cards different to different guys in the room, give them examples of uh, what teams may be considering, and then just keep going through those iterations to just try to have some kind of live feedback as to what it looks like. When you talk about, Mike, being ready to trade up, trade down, and sort of whatever might come your way, how established are you in terms of having had those conversations with your potential trade partners and, and what direction you might go? You know, I think context is really important in this, Jade. I know one year with Darrell Rivas, uh, one of the best moves we made, We there was three corners that year that we had first-round grades. Uh, Aaron Ross from Texas, Leon Hall from Michigan, and, of course, Darrell. And um, Marty Herney was a guy we made a number of trades with who was, at the time, the general manager of the Panthers. He's now with the Washington football team. And I said to him, hey, look, if there's one player that we want to come up for, here's exactly what we could do. Uh, Marty was sitting there at 14. We're not going to try to trade more than these picks when – I mean, we're not going to try to do it for less than these picks when you're on the clock, but I don't want you to hold me up for more. And we basically had an agreement in principle, and that really worked for both sides. They were looking to move back. We wanted to go up for a player. And based on my relationship with Marty, I knew that as soon as – the 13th pick was turned in, and it wasn't Darrell that we were in great shape. Now, that's a little bit of the exception to the rule. You could have the framework of conversations, and I'd love to hear Joe and Ray's thoughts on that. Um, but things do change because other teams get involved, and that's why I try to be as proactively as possible. Yeah, well, when Ray and I are together in uh, Cleveland, we had kind of a version of this. We had, uh, I remember the name of the little wide receiver that St. Louis, uh, L.A. was trying to trade up for. Uh, Tavon Austin. Tavon Austin, and we had a chance to either pick at six or uh, get their first-round pick, which I think was a move back of about eight spots, and their second-round pick, which we thought was excellent value, but we were – at least I was very focused on prioritizing building a line that, that over time could become dominant, the defensive line, and we liked Mingo. So we went ahead and made the selection. But uh, we literally had that exact – you know, if, if our guy, which was Mingo, wasn't there – uh, you know, we would have made that trade. And, and that was, you know, etched in stone, uh, you know, well before the draft. And, you know, again, we were picking at six, so there wasn't a whole lot that could change unless somebody picked Mingo that we weren't expecting. 
I think Mike makes an excellent point though, right? And, and Joe as well, that end of the day, you don't really know what's going to happen. And all it takes is that one player to fall into a spot that somebody else covets. And then all of a sudden all bets are off and you're considering uh, the likelihood of what could be possible for your franchise moving forward. What is the key thing that you have to do and to be comfortable with, to know that when the wheels come off, you are in the best position in terms of your own prep work and moving forward with your team and having it come out and feeling like you won the draft at the end of the day for what you're trying to build. Ray, I'll ask you that first. Um, I think it's it's something that Mike and Bojo alluded to in earlier answers, which is that uh, a a lot of times you go through this process, there's a pod of players. And in my, at least in my mental bank, I would tell you that it is uh, relevant to the player's value and how he fits your scheme. So if I know I can still get a starter quality player, 10 picks from now, it doesn't it doesn't scare me to move back eight picks because then I still have opportunities to get a player that um, I coveted that same level, if we want to call it that. And and I think that's where it gets interesting. You may covet somebody really, really well, like Joe just referenced Mingo, but inevitably, um, if you can stay, I would say, agnostic or not so torn on any one individual player, then um, it makes it a lot more flexible for you to move up and back. The bad part is, is that we do fall in love with these guys and specifically <laughs> coaches as well. And it's hard to tell coaches and yourself know when you're, when you're under the gun. Mike, let me, let me go to you on this one first. When you look at the spot that the jets are sitting in number two, uh, how would you characterize the opportunity that they have from a franchise perspective with this pick? Yeah, Jade, it's massive. It's transformational um, by all accounts, you know, sitting here 24 hours before the draft, you know, we all presume it's going to be Zach Wilson quarterback from BYU um, it's a pick, obviously, they need to get right for a number of reasons, but you have a new head coach. Uh, you've kind of reset your program moving on from Sam Darnold. I think he has a chance to be really good. I did see him in person. His build scares me slightly combined with his medical history. Um, there is risk here. Uh, given his style of play, he's very comfortable outside the pocket, and you see him make incredible throws, accurate down the field with tremendous velocity. With that said, it puts him in hard way, harm's way, Jade. And what would concern me is that is not a great line. So unlike what Cincinnati did a year ago where they moved on from Andy Dalton and just put Joe Burrow out there, which I thought was borderline reckless, I, I hope the Jets bring him along slowly and, and help fortify that line because you want to put him in the best chance to be successful, not just for you know the next four or five months in 2021, but this should be a, a 10-year building block for the Jets. Mike, if you go back to 2009, uh, you made the quarterback pick for the Jets. Um, so when you're on the clock and in that room, uh, how significant is the ticking of time as it's passing here? Yeah, I would not suggest doing what we did in 09 <laughs> and my esteemed colleagues here, Ray Farmer and Joe Barrett, haven't done it. And and we were in a very unusual position, which was we traded players on the clock. And here's why that's not for the faint of heart. When you make a trade during the draft, you have to have matching phone calls. So Team A has to call the league office and say, hey, we're trading picks A, B, and C. The other team has to call the league office and say, hey, we're trading picks A, B, and C. And when those two phone calls match, then the other team is on the clock. What was so unusual about our trade, we went from 17 to 5, ironically, with the Cleveland Browns. We traded three players, Kenyon Coleman, Abe Elam, and Brett Ratliff. And we also gave up a second-round pick. But obviously the Browns at the time, their head coach, Eric Mangini, was very familiar with those three players, coveted them, 
each one of those players had to have a conditional pick because we were going to get the fifth pick, so we were going to use that pick. And if either any of those three players had failed their physical, we had to give a corresponding conditional pick. So now we're trading multiple draft choices, three players, and then three additional conditional picks. And it is a hot mess. (laughs) We are in the weeds, and you only have 10 minutes. And long story short, 10 minutes went down to 30 seconds. And with 30 seconds left on the clock, we had an opportunity to turn in the card. And here was what could have been catastrophic to me personally and reckless for the team if this had happened, which is under the rules, if that agreement is approved by the league, even with 10 seconds to go, we have 10 seconds to make the pick. And if we don't turn in the card – the sixth pick can go ahead and they could turn in Mark Sanchez. So there was a scenario there, Jade, where we give away two picks, three players, and literally have nothing and don't get Mark Sanchez. So that was uh, 10 minutes that will take years off of my life. I think my blood pressure rises just hearing that story. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like if you think about trying to get all that done in that span of time, not easy for anyone. Ray, when you're inside that room and you're trying to make these picks and you're evaluating on the fly and you have your material that you've you know spent months uh, developing, who has your ear? Who are you talking to? Take me inside. Traditionally, you're talking to the head coach. You know, you at least for me, I sat beside the head coach and I had my chief henchman beside me, Bill Coherick at the time. And uh, you're going through all of these scenarios and, and you're really kind of honing it in when you get closer to that pick. And um, I hate to say it, that's when that, again, maybe I'm the only one in the room that had that anxiety. But to uh, Mike's point, you're anticipating making the pick that's in your head that you're having these conversations about. And then um, I had this happen, actually, um, man, I got to hate to bring this up, but I'm bringing it up anyway. It's right before um, we selected Johnny Manziel. Um, had a lot, a lot of love for a wide receiver that went one pick in front of us, and I and it it just cru- it, it didn't crush me, but it was like it was deflating when you think you're going in one direction, and then conversely you have to make an alteration and make an adjustment, and now you have to make a pick that yeah you're good with or you're okay with because to Julian and Mike's point you're following your board, but at the same time um, you had your heart set in one direction, and it just takes that one team to break it. And I would tell you, more often than not, I've seen uh, teams get deflated in those moments when they start really kind of honing in on one individual player. How hard is it to regroup in those moments? Because it's not like you have a lot of time if it's the team right before you either. Many instances of of that, and it's very hard. Um, I mean, we always tried to have three, four, five names on the board as we came up to our pick so that we weren't literally looking at the entire board of the guys that, you know, we liked that fit about where we were coming that looked like they'd be available. So we weren't, you know, if, you know, Sanchez story, if that happens, you've got it. Theoretically, you've got a next name sitting right there. Um, but you, you've got to bounce back really quick because your, uh, your heart isn't where it was right before that pick was made. Let's just on the, on the positive side, you know, before we take a break from this part of the conversation, but on the positive side, like what's the player that you've called up on the other end of the phone and that you really, that conversation that you had after making that pick resonated with you that you still remember? Mike? Uh, you know, similar Ray, I, I think there were certain players like during the process that I just really grew to admire. And I'll just go back to the, First pick that I had the fortune to make uh, when I was a GM, that was to Brickishaw Ferguson, who ironically was a, a local player from Long Island. You know, his dad was a 7-Eleven manager. He went to University of Virginia, and we spent so much time with him that 
I was, of course, nervous because Reggie Bush, we thought, was going to go first overall that year. And surprisingly, the night before, the Houston Texans reached an agreement with Mario Williams. And I have to make sure that our head coach at the time, Eric Mangini, would have been good with Reggie Bush, even though I really wanted to brickishaw, but we had to be prepared for that conversation. And when we turned in the car, there was like a, a sense of relief that we got a rock-solid guy that we spent a lot of time with. And I don't know if it was one conversation in as much as we knew his parents, we knew his background, we knew his college. And the late, great George Young, and I know this sounds like an incredible oversimplification, but he always said when you take good players from good schools and ask them to do exactly what they're doing on tape, you're just going to reduce your margin for error. And we mm-hmm. kind of ran that play, and that turned out to be a very successful pick for us. I just wanted to piggyback on something that Mike said. It, it is it's interesting when you're in that room and you're talking to the head coach and um, – you know, to Joe's point earlier, there's a pod of players that you're considering at any one point, but obviously there's a front runner. And when you're going over that conversation, that guy that you inevitably feel really, really, really strong about is the ones that, to me, that are, they're easy. And, and sure. I would tell you this, not every draft pick that you turned in, at least that I turned in, did you feel the same about all of those individual players uh, throughout that entire process. Some guys you knew had drawbacks and holes. And you want those to be further along in the process. But nevertheless, to his point, when you actually feel like there's a connection and it's hard because the it's not sexy to take the offensive linemen specifically earlier in the draft, but that's where you get really good ones. Mm-hmm. So um, it just it just makes that that engagement that much more better when you finally are able to pull the trigger on the, the less sexy guys that everybody doesn't want to see about. They want to see the guys that score touchdowns and not the guys that block for them. I can't score touchdowns if there's not a guy blocking for you. <laughs> okay, my uh, my one here is probably interesting if you think of it from uh, kind of behind the curtain. Uh, it was actually Donovan McNabb. So realize we decided to pick Donovan. We pretty felt pretty safe he wasn't going to be gone. We had the second pick. Uh, but it was interesting. Remember, usually the head coach in our case was the first person to get on with the players. So Donovan gets on with Andy, has a reasonably short, good conversation. And he's supposed to go out and see the commissioner, and then he was going to get back on the phone with us. So I'm actually getting on the phone with him right after he got booed. <laughs> right. He got picked. <laughs> so, you know. So you were it, like, it, hey, it, welcome to Philadelphia. <laughs> well, I, 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 I quickly was trying to be his therapist because, uh, you know, it was, just, you know, you're 20, 21 years old, and anybody who's ever been in a position where they get booed, it's pretty unpleasant anyway. And here's a moment you fantasize about your whole life, you're there with yes. your family. You're on national TV. And so getting back on the phone with him right after we had witnessed uh, him be booed that way was was definitely a challenging few moments. Oh, my goodness. A therapist. One of the many hats that a general manager has to wear. Joe, what did you say to him? You know, I said, uh, you know, you're, you're hearing from people that don't know. So, you know, don't let them rattle you. We believe in you. We can't tell you how excited we are about this. You're going to be here a long time. We're going to have a lot of success. Just try to flip into a, a little bit of empathy, followed with a lot of, you know, trying to build his confidence and just reassure him how much we believed in him and how good we felt about it and that this moment would be forgotten in time. Yeah. And a lot of yeah. those fans wound up cheering for him for a lot of years. Yeah. So <laughs> time does make a difference. You're listening to 98.7 ESPN's Path to the Draft with Mike Tannenbaum and the 33rd team, powered by X2 Performance. 
you know, we touched a little bit on, on this last time, guys, how there's sort of that one pick that always has you look at yourself and go, okay, what just happened? Here we go. So what team do you think, looking at the board right now, has that pick that could really trigger mayhem? Uh, Joe, to you first. Well, I, I don't know if mayhem, but, uh, you know, whatever Atlanta ends up deciding to do is going to have a huge impact on not just the front of the draft, but as we go down through it. Uh, and whether a series of trades that are being discussed right now ever actually happen or not. Um, so I, I think we're all curious as to who's going to get picked at three, but it's going to be one of the quarterbacks. So the true unknowns, in my mind, kick in at four, and there's a domino effect that runs down through the round quite a bit. So to me, that's going to be kind of the most interesting moment to see what happens. Um, I, I agree with that in part, but I think the other fascinating one to me, guys, is – Carolina, and here's why. They gave up multiple picks to get Sam Darnold, most notably a two and a four next year. Sam only has one more year to go on his contract, assuming they exercise the option, and <clears throat> assuming that there's a good quarterback there. And what I mean by good, let's say one of the top five. One, I think teams could come up. I think there's this group of four, Washington, Chicago, Pittsburgh, and New England, that could come up for a quarterback there. But more fundamentally, what does Matt Rule do, which is – you acquired Teddy Bridgewater. That didn't work out. You have Sam Darnold. Do you keep going and try to add another quarterback? Scott Federer, their new GM, came from Seattle where they had Tavares Jackson. They had Matt Flynn. And then they stumbled into, you know, a six-foot-tall third-round quarterback that couldn't start at NC State named Russell Wilson. And where I think they really deserve credit is it was a mindset of they kept trying to add to the quarterback position. So I, I'm really curious to see how – Carolina handles that, assuming that there is one of these frontline quarterbacks still there. I guess I'll piggyback off all of that and say I think it's it's clearly where uh, the most value falls, right? So if we're anticipating quarterbacks going one, two, three, what is that next turn that that uh, elicits the quarterback? And to Joe's point, depending upon what Atlanta does, and as the draft trickles on, uh, the momentum and the anxiety will build for how far will whatever quarterbacks are not selected will that fall stop? And I think that will continue to add value to those picks as, the, as they trickle down as to what teams may be willing to consider to go up and get a guy that they think they didn't have an option to get prior to the draft. When you're sitting there and you see how the board falls to you, uh, you know, whichever team that, you, that you're with, picking with in your own history, um, when the board is there and your need is not matched by the best player on your, uh, on your board, how do you handle that discrepancy? What What is your game plan at that point in time, Ray? I was always told you're never one player away. So, it, you know, the need is, is secondary to the good player. Um, unless you're just overwhelmed with uh, players at, the at a particular position, and that's all that's available, which I, I've never been in that scenario. But there's always a multitude of players at that level, as I consider it. And you just you go with the best player. Um Again, if, if I haven't been on a team, I haven't been on a good enough team where I felt like we were just one guy away and this is the one key piece that needed to happen. So to what we've all said, stay to the board and the needs will address themselves because I've never seen a team needs book where one where a team only had one or two needs that they needed to fill. And it also depends on your definition of need. I mean, we <clears throat> at the Eagles always felt like there were position priorities. <clears throat> and although we wanted to pick the best players, we also had it strong uh, you know willingness to kind of 
you know, maybe flip our board a little bit, not, not where you're picking somebody that maybe had the, at the second round at the top of the second round, but maybe if you had somebody in the middle of the round and they were an offensive lineman versus a, uh, you know, a safety who was, you know, five picks higher on your stack that we would, we would think of the need more in terms of the importance of the position than what maybe somebody on the outside was looking at the roster and thought was our need. Mike, the Giants are sitting there just outside the top 10 this year. So if you were there and, and a part of what they're trying to do, what would what would your strategy be? I wouldn't trade out. I'm sandwiched between my division rivals. <laughs> I, I got, I'm looking up. I see the Cowboys and I see the Eagles. And somebody on this roundtable once stuck a dagger in my heart when I was idiotic enough to trade back four spots. And he took the player I wanted, and thank God Chris Gokong didn't turn out to be a great player for Philadelphia. <laughs> so, not to name names, Joe Banner. But if I'm Dave Gettleman, and Dave's getting beaten up in the New York media because I guess he's made 577 picks in his career and he has never traded back. Right. And and this would not be the year that he wants to break that streak. In all seriousness, like, <clears throat> when you look at those three teams, in my opinion, and I don't know if Joe and Ray agree with this, but loosely – I think they have similar needs. I think defensive players, front seven pressure players, corners. And if you're the the New York Giants and you want to trade back, and I still think they could use a corner despite signing a Dory Jackson and James Bradbury. Um, and certainly when you look at Philly, you could say they could use a young pass rusher and certainly a corner. I just don't think you could trade back a few spots for a third-round pick. If you have a high-character, productive player, and to Joe's point – one in which you can certainly determine it is a premium position, like a pass rusher, like a corner. I just don't think this is the year, Jay, that Dave Gettleman <laughs> can break the streak. Keep the streak intact. That, that is the word <laughs> on the round table here. One of the things that I wonder is, look, this is always an exercise in hit and miss. Like you're, you're never going to have every pick that you make be a winner. That's just the reality of it. Um, it it's that type of game. Um, but this year with the COVID impact, like the medicals have been different. The actual like one-on-one -on -one in person time with players has obviously been different. So when we look back on it, do you think that like the hit rate on picks will actually be lower this year than in previous years, in previous years, Mike? I do for the reasons you just stated. I think you, you just hear from teams, the challenges of getting medical information or just not having as much time with players. It's just, it's different. And some of these, Medical situations, as Ray and Joe both know, can be complicated. That doesn't mean they can't be solved, but um, you certainly feel better when you have your head coach, your trainer, and your doctor oftentimes. You know, if we go back a year ago to someone like Tua Tongvaloa, I am sure that Miami spent a lot of time through the whole pre-draft process of talking to him, looking at the x-rays, looking at the MRIs, bringing him in, having an exam, all those little things to make sure that when you're making these incredibly important decisions you have every box signed off it's just something you don't have this year jade i'm actually going to be the country and as usual i actually think this is a chance we'll see a higher hit rate because i think one of the mistakes that teams make is they get distracted from the tape and they get caught up in other kinds of destruct discussions and although you'd always like to have the information that mike's referring to and the more information the better um if what this really does is get personnel departments in general and the general manager, whoever has the final say to make the pick. And he's really, as opposed to just talking about relying on the tape to make the pick, but that's basically what he's got to do because it's the information that he has available. 
I think there's actually a chance we see as high or a higher hit rate than what we're used to seeing because that's a mistake we, we've all made, even though we're all conscious of it and every, every team in the league's made, we let some other factors or some other conversation start to take you away from what the tape told you and really what you should stay focused on. Ray, you want to play tiebreaker here? Um, I, I'm actually going to side with Joe. Uh, I, I thought I was going to be contrarian, but Joe jumped in and got me. Uh, but I, I do think, uh, yes, things are delayed. It's not what we're traditionally accustomed to. But I do think there's probably been more player interaction this year than any year ever. Uh, what Zoom taught us is that I can see you and talk to you um, at any time we kind of set up a, a, that, that interaction. And so I think one of the things that people want to get out of uh, those types of communications is body language, is being able to see you and see how they can read you and feel the conversation as much as they actually have it. And so because of Zoom, FaceTime, whatever you want to say, whatever medium you want to say where I can actually see the person, um, I think there will be much more of a, a comfort level with teams of making selections based upon that and the data that they actually have. By the way, Jade, think... rock, rock paper, scissors on Zoom is actually quite effective. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so bad for Nick Sirianni. I mean, here's a good person. He gets his dream job. He's trying to take people behind the curtain, and he gets eviscerated. I mean, you you know, we've all talked rock, about paper, this. scissors in your draft room? Come uh, on, Mike. Uh, well, not only if not only did we not do that, but if we did, I would never admit it after what happened to Nick. My gosh. I mean, he may turn out to be the greatest coach of all time, and he's going to be the rock, paper, scissors coach. <laughs> you know, this is something. Some things stick with you, right? Yeah. You know, Jay, this is something I, I've talked to Ray and Joe about. Just the level of scrutiny now with these jobs is just unbelievable. I mean, it's. And that's just, a, a, you know, obviously a comical, but, you know, a small sample set of what these guys are dealing with. All right, gentlemen, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. That wraps up the roundtable. Much more ahead right here on 98.7 ESPN. The 33rd team is powered by X2 Performance, the all-natural energy drink that is tested and trusted by the pros like linebacker Levante David of the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers and hundreds of other NFL athletes. X2's energy and pre-workout supplements are available at CVS gnc.com and amazon be sure to follow x2 performance on instagram at x2 performance and our last guest maybe we're saving the best for last here guys is somebody that i would call a friend now a colleague at espn and someone that we had the privilege of drafting with the fifth pick overall in the 2009 draft mark sanchez hello mark Morning. How are we doing, Mike T? Doing great. Really appreciate you being with us. You know, I know it's early out in the West Coast and uh, really uh, glad you can make it. So really want to start with presumably, unless something crazy happens, Mark, tomorrow night, Zach Wilson will be the second pick overall. Jets will take him. I don't think there's anybody better on the planet to ask this question. What would you tell him or what have you told him and what could he do to put himself in the best position possible to be successful? Yes, it's a great question, and, and um, I commend him because he's the one who reached out to me and some other former Jet quarterbacks. I think he spoke to Chad Pennington, who I have a ton of respect for, and I know you do too. Uh, but he had the foresight and the people around him to, once things started taking a turn in this direction, that it looked like he was headed east to the, uh, to the, to the uh, you know, media capital of the world, really, that that, hey, maybe I should ask some of these guys who've been there and done it. And so I appreciated him reaching out. Anytime anybody asks you for advice, it obviously makes you feel good. 
But the, one of the most important things I talked to him about was was the size and and um, the the brevity of this city and like what what it really means because everybody's like, oh well, New York is just bigger and it's crazy. Well, you got to kind of unpack that, right? And I said the most important thing is you got to be comfortable in your own skin. You got to know who you are. And I think New York taught me a lot about that, right? Because you're a young kid, you're, you know, 20, 21 years old, and you get drafted, they give you $50 million, and overnight you're expected to have the discernment of a 65-year-old Supreme Court justice because now you're the face of a franchise, and that doesn't really work like that, right? That's pretty unrealistic to, to expect something like that. So there's a growth process that goes into this kind of stuff. And, I mean, we had – you and I had plenty of conversations about this as – my career was was going on and on, but he's gonna he's gonna have to understand what he's comfortable with media wise, what he's comfortable with football wise, uh, how much he wants to put himself out there, marketing wise, you know, and then understanding that if he does, and I use the example of the GQ photo shoot, but if you do something like GQ, there's gonna be a bunch of people that say, oh man, this guy doesn't care about football, he's too, you know, that's a little too risque for me. I can't believe he did that. Well, if you do the same article about in, uh, you know, better home and gardening and you talk about, you know, your wife and kid and your dogs and what plants you like, well, people are going to say, oh, that's too buttoned up for me. I, I want somebody a little more, you know, a little racier. I said, so whatever you do, you're going to get criticism from one side or the other and maybe both. So the most important thing is being comfortable with what you're doing, understanding the criticism is going to be there no matter what. And the most important thing is keep football the main thing. Right, like those guys knew. Sure, Mark likes to have fun. He'll go to a Broadway show. He'll take the guys to movie premieres. He'll do a GQ photo shoot. But he loves football, and that guy works his ass off in the building. And that was the most important thing. As long as those guys know that, I said you're good. You can do, you know, generally whatever you want within reason. You know, just to take people behind the scenes in making the decision. You know, that year Matt Stafford was coming out. We liked Matt. We thought obviously he would be gone very early, which he went one overall. Josh Freeman was another first-round quarterback from Kansas State. And when we worked you out in California, you actually, in those situations, when you have private workouts, you work very closely when you're in these other markets to make sure there are enough receivers. And when we went out there, Rex Ryan and a few other people from the organization, we were blown away, Mark, by how many people were there um, at your high school that were either going to work out. Now, let's face it, they want to work out because they want to be seen by NFL teams, but it was very clear that you had tremendous support and admiration and respect of your teammates. And that was one of the many boxes that we wanted to check and also your family and your background and the incredible support system that you had. Cause we knew, you know, coming into New York again, everything's times 10 when it's great. It's times 10 when it's bad. It feels like it's, t- it's worse, like by times a hundred. So the support system you had, your family, you know, you deserve all the credit in the world. But those are boxes that I'm sure Joe Douglas and Robert Sala had been checking all along in terms of here's Zach Wilson's family, here's his background, his work ethic, here's how he's dealt with adversity because those things are going to happen. And in New York, when they go on a three-game losing streak and he throws six picks, he's going to be on the back page. And you need to have a rare mental toughness to to be able to deal with that and actually thrive in that environment. Oh, 100%. I, I agree, Mike, so, so much because they're, you know, those those dark days when, like you said, when you go on a three-game skid, when you talk about it now, it's a, it's a couple it's a couple words, right? Like, or you just, you have an eight and eight season and miss the playoffs. 
Like you, you say that in one sentence and it's in a, like a Wikipedia bio in one sentence, right? But that's an entire year of your life, which feels like a lifetime. And handling those emotions, understanding that there is adversity coming. No matter what, there will be adversity. I can guarantee that. He's going to get booed out of the stadium. Even though they draft him number two overall, he will get booed out of that stadium. People are going to be yelling, you know, wanting to throw their beers at him, calling him a bum. That will guaranteed happen. But then what? Right? There's always got to be that mentality. Okay, now what? How are you going to handle it? How are you going to bounce back? Who, who am I going to be when I walk back in that building? Am I hanging my head, tail between my legs, or am I chin up working through stuff? And I think um, based on the conversations I've had with him, he sure seems like a kid that can do the latter, that can, that can fight through adversity. Mark, just changing topics here. I know you spent a ton of time breaking down these quarterbacks, spending time with them. Can you just walk us through uh, an overview of who you see, putting Zach Wilson to the side, your top three other quarterbacks in this draft, and why they're in that order? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Trevor Lawrence, obviously we've heard about him for years now. Um, and and we uh, I sat down with Trevor a little bit, uh, got to know him a little bit, saw him throw a little bit out here with uh, Jordan Palmer. Uh, in, in Southern California before he started his rehab process with his shoulder. But, I mean, this kid's like, you know, he's everything you want. He's been he's been the number one pick now for three years, it seems like. So um, that was just kind of a shoe-in. And then it kind of seemed like everybody else. After sitting down with Justin Fields, though, on uh, on my podcast with Fourth and Forever, we do this show called The Intangibles every year with the quarterbacks. And we got to see his pro day, got to sit down with him, got to talk to Ryan Day. And uh, it's getting released on YouTube today. But basically, that, that affirmed what I had already thought about him. Because you hear all these reports about Justin Fields, and then you go watch his tape, and then you watch it again, and then you sit down with him. And I'm like, damn, I think people are missing on this kid. I think because of the way the season looked for him last year, and maybe five total plays, two plays against Indiana, two plays against Northwestern, one play against Clemson that he'd want back. I mean, which NFL quarterback, Mike, that you've ever been around wouldn't want five plays back in an eight-game span, right? Like, totally that's fair. ridiculous. And now, and now all of a sudden, because of those five plays, you know, we're knocking this kid like he's the third, fourth, fifth best quarterback now. And, and I just don't see it. I think there's so much to him that, um, you know, and, and I likened it to this. I said – you know, you hand somebody a sheet of music, a professional singer, and they're going to hit all the notes and they're going to do it well and, and it's all good and everybody's happy. I said, but you hand that same sheet of music to somebody like Whitney Houston, Justin Timberlake, somebody who can really sing, right, like a John Legend, somebody like that, and, and they're the same notes. It's the same thing. It's the same sheet of music, but they have something special and they add something special to it. That's the way I feel Justin Fields is because he wants to be a passer. He can make all those throws. But when he's got to move just a little bit, I mean, the kid ran a 4-4, Mike, and he stumbled at Pro Day. A 4-4 stumbling? I'd give my left arm to do that. <laughs> like, just oh. to wake up on one Sunday on a game day and roll out of bed knowing that I can run a 4-4, let's go. I'd, I'd have gotten myself out of a lot of trouble right what? on the I... field. That would have been easy. So, I'm like, how are we how – are we, pushing this kid off to the side like like he's not one of the most special if not the most special with you know some of the most potential in his draft so that's what blows me away um but listen i i think he'll find his spot he'll work for it. he's still got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and i love it um and and coach ryan day just was 
was glowing about him and his maturation process this past year with everything they dealt with, um, you know, COVID-wise and getting back on the field, fighting to get into that, into the uh, the playoffs and all that. I mean, he went through a lot. He learned a lot. That's going to help him. That's going to bode him well moving forward. And then I got to sit down with Mac Jones, who uh, was coached by Steve Sarkeesian, and, and that was great because I got to go to Austin, see um, see Sark at the University of Texas, and he he had nothing but great things to say about Mac. And he said one of the things that Mac benefited from the most was his ability to bank reps while he was behind Jalen Hurts and Tua, and then remember that, right? Bring it back. Bring those drills and reps and interceptions that he threw on scout team back to back to when it was time for him to play, and he could recall all that information. And he was ready to go. And he didn't just get a chance to play good. He played great. Now, granted, he's got a ton of help, but he makes that help work for him, right? He, he puts them in good positions. He can handle all the pre-snap motion and shifts and stuff. So that bodes well if he goes to San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan. Um, he's deadly accurate with all the, the pre-snap quick little throws, the RPOs, the bubbles, the tunnel screens, all that kind of stuff, flare screens for the halfback. Like he is a yard in front of the front number, and Sark noted that. He said he just keeps our guys up and gives them the ability to get yards after catch, and that's so important to not leave meat on the bone on these plays. He said he also is one of the best at getting us out of bad situations, right, just avoiding disasters, and Sark likened it. He said, hey, when you pull up to an intersection and somebody's in a fender bender, he's like, you don't just go drive right into the fender bender. Right? You don't make it an absolute tragedy three-car, five-car pileup. He's like, you slow down, maybe throw on your hazards, assess the situation, and figure it out. Right? And, and when it's all said and done, you just move on with your life. Right? And Sark said he's so good at that. He's got such great discernment and judgment on the field with the football. And that's why I could trust him. He said, that's why I could trust him to just fire shots downfield at any point. Because I knew if we had leakage in the pocket – if we were covered up downfield, if we got a bad look, no sweat. Max is going to put us in the right spot. He's going to check it down. He's going to throw this thing in the fifth row and save us from making that fender bender a four-car pile-up tragedy that you see on the evening news. And that gave him confidence to call those plays. Wow, that's awesome, Mark. I'll tell you what, meeting you in 2009, you know, one of the lines in your Sky Report, football junkie, and here we are 12 years later, you know, the passion for the sport is uh, coming through uh, as much as it ever has. That that was a great breakdown and greatly appreciate you being with us. And I think it says so much about Zach Wilson that he reached out to you. So I think that bodes well for the New York Jets. So really appreciate it, Mark. We'll all tune into your podcast and uh, really appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, happy for you. Happy to be here. Thank you for the X2, by the way. There's your there's your uh, unprovoked, unsolicited plug. For real, you, Mike, for everybody listening, Mike sent that to my house, so I appreciate that, and it does actually taste good. A lot of people say stuff tastes good, and it tastes like crap, so I like it. Uh, and the other thing, too, is that 33rd team, you, Andy Hansen, that whole crew, man, you guys are doing a great job, so thanks for letting me be a part of that. You're listening to 98.7 ESPN's Path to the Draft with Mike Tannenbaum and the 33rd team, powered by X2 Performance. The 2021 NFL Draft begins tomorrow night, and 98.7 ESPN is celebrating the return of football with the Draft Challenge. By correctly predicting the results of the first 11 picks, you can win the jersey of your favorite team's first pick. To enter, text DRAFT to 44202, followed by your picks listed 1 through 11. 
will assign a point for every correct pick and two points for a correct Jets pick. If you think there will be a trade, just use the word trade for that pick. It's all for your home for the NFL Draft, 98.7 ESPN. We just have a quick couple of minutes here to wrap up, guys. I'd like to get your takeaways and your big picture predictions. Yeah, so I think where I would go is something that Eric Mangini said was don't assume the savior role. And I think that that's something I would want to reiterate to to Zach Wilson is, you know, the Jets weren't a quarterback away. They weren't the Chiefs with Mahomes, Um, you know. They have Tevin Coleman at running back right now, and he's he's a good player, but he's not elite. Right now they're looking to still add things on wide receiver. They're probably going to draft a starting offensive guard, either with that uh, 20s or 34th pick. Um, you know, there's a lot of parts, and all Zach needs to do is come in and from day one work with Mike LaFleur and start taking steps forward, and they're going to be building this year and next year to the offense that they want. So definitely don't take that savior role and don't try to do it. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, so here's the thing, like, as a fellow 21-year-old, like, Zach Wilson reaching out to Mark Sanchez, Chad Pennington, to learn from their mistakes having come into this New York market, that's incredible to me, just the maturity at knowing that they have gone through this and what he can learn from what they've done correctly or incorrectly, and just looking at, like, who have been the quarterbacks taken second overall since 2010, it's been Robert Griffin, Marcus Mariota, Carson Wentz, and Mitchell Trubisky, not great history there, guys, but... Um, knowing that Zach Wilson has the maturity to reach out to the people in the past and just know that the New York market's going to be something different from him moving on from BYU, um, it, it's very impressive. And speaking of this New York market, to me, his best chance for success, offensive line, hopefully with their second first-round pick, they get a great bookend to go with last year's number one pick, Makai Becton. Guys, what an incredible two hours we had. You're listening to 98.7 ESPN's Path to the Draft with Mike Tannenbaum and the 33rd Team, powered by X2 Performance.